Let's get into Acts. Believe it or not, now, now make sure you're sitting down. Just saying. I'm not going to tell you that we're in the book of Acts because you already know that. We're going to tackle, watch this now, we're going to tackle three chapters today. And some of y'all just went, we ain't ever eaten. I'm going to die in the church. That's a good place to die. Come on, somebody. I pray we got to sweep up a bunch of old, never mind. <laughs> I used to be a businessman. I, I owned my own company. I, I prayed and asked God to own my own company at one point in my life. And, and God set me up with a, a friend I found in church. And together we started a business. And uh, I was a part of that. Cheryl and I were a part of that business for nine years. And we built it from just him and I to roughly 50 employees in a period of about four or five years. And God's hand was definitely on it. And we, we went into business with some very clear um, desires, some very clear objectives. Uh, number one, to make some money to bless the kingdom. That was one of our intentions in going into business. It wasn't to make ourselves wealthy by any means, although, you know, I did like a good paycheck. But it was to really be a blessing to the kingdom. <clears throat> we also went into business because we knew it would give us an opportunity to tell others about Jesus and to share our story in a place that we've never been able to share our story before. So we were in business. We were in a construction business. And it went on for a couple of years, and we, we, um, we started to grow. And we were always looking for opportunities to share our story. And two occasions stick out to me this morning that I want to share with you real quick. One was when my, my business partner, Dennis, we, had, uh, we, had, we, went, we finally got in with this big construction company in Lafayette and they were kind of prestigious, and we thought, man, we got to get in with them and start doing some of their work because they do big projects. And so finally we got our foot in the door, and we ended up with a, they assigned us a project manager, and the one they gave us was like the worst one they had. I mean, I'm just going to say it straight. The guy was a jerk, and he was extremely rude, and nobody liked him. Everybody that we ran into said, oh, you got him as a project manager. Yeah, they're like, good luck. You'll be quitting before too long. And so... Time went on, and we, we dealt with his rudeness and his being a jerk and treating us like subordinates and just plugged away, did our work, did our job with a good attitude. And one day, Dennis found himself standing on Johnson Street just outside of their office building with this guy, and they're standing on the sidewalk, and the guy goes, say, bro, there's something different about you and Jamie. Like, I got a lot of subcontractors, but there's something different about you. Like, like, what's up with you guys? And the bell went off. Then he went, opportunity. And he shared our story. He shared his story. And he shared the story of Jesus with the guy. And he prayed for him right there on Johnson Street. He was looking for an opportunity. And when the opportunity presented itself, he jumped on it. Another time was we were going to buy a trailer. And I'm telling you all this because I want you to get a real practical understanding of what I'm going to preach about today. We were going to buy a utility trailer, and we were business partners, and so we did everything, you know, 100-100, like we, all, we were both in all the decisions, and so we're walking around a local trailer dealership, and we're, you know, he and I are kind of haggling over what we like, what we don't like, no, it needs to be wider, it needs to be longer, blah, 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 and the salesman's walking along with us. And we're, we're, not, we're not being rude to each other. It's just the way we, we are. I would, I would do it to any of you other guys, you know, just kind of jawing around. And we're, we're deciding on a trailer. And after a little while, the salesman goes, hey, bro, hang on, stop. Like, I never get business partners in here to buy a trailer. 
because they can't get along to both show up. They, 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 they fight it out at the office, and one of them comes and buys a trailer. He said, but you two are here, and you're working it out, and you're negotiating in front of me. Like, what's, what's up with you? Opportunity. Well, let me tell you. So we're standing in the middle of all his trailers that he's trying to sell us, and we're telling him our story. And then we start telling him the story of Jesus. It was an opportunity. The title of my message today is Determined to Deliver. Determined to Deliver. We've been in Acts for, for several months. <laughs> Let me just say it. We've been in Acts for over half a year. And, and we're, we're watching Paul recently go through a lot of stuff. Remember, he left Asia. He's heading to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit told him that suffering Jail and Jerusalem lie ahead of you. Most of us would have checked out and said, no, that ain't my assignment. That's somebody else's. So we've been watching Paul go to Jerusalem, go to jail, suffer. And I want to show you today that Paul had a determination inside of him that I believe every one of us needs inside of us. And I hope to show you that that determination that you need is already inside of you. The definition of determined is to have a firm or fixed purpose. It's the manifestation of a firm resolution. It's, it's to end the wondering and the, 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 the guessing and to fix yourself on something. That's what it means to be determined, like to decide that I'm doing this no matter what. It's to fix yourself on something and it's to settle on that thing ultimately, meaning completely. That's what it means to be determined. If you're determined, you're not easily knocked off course. If you're determined, you can get through some stuff that's tough. If you're determined. But if you're half-hearted and half-committed, you're going to get knocked around all over the place. So Paul was determined to deliver a message every chance he got. Now, I want you to understand today, we are all pretty determined people here. I don't know if you know this about yourself, but you're pretty determined. Most of us in this room are determined to make a living. We're determined to go to work to get enough food to put something in our belly so we don't die. Most of us are determined to protect our house. Most of us are determined to live somewhat of a good life. You're more determined than I think you realize. It's just that you're, maybe you need to turn your determination to the right things. You see, we show our determination by what we do daily and consistently. If you'll get to know me well enough to spend a couple of weeks with me all day, you'll quickly find out what I'm passionate about and what I'm determined about because you'll see it expressed daily, consistently in my life. So we picked the story up, just a little quick review. Last couple of weeks, we talked about how Paul's accusers arrive. He's, he's, he's been moved from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Remember, we talked about he's, last week, we talked about he's at Herod's uh, Praetorium, Remember I talked about how the praetorium was? It's like a palace. He was arrested at the palace. Come on, somebody. And it was on the seashore. <laughs> he had a beachside. Anyway, 
And, and his friends could come, and he had freedoms and all that. And so we talked about that last week. And they were waiting for his accusers to come. Well, they finally come. And when they do, Paul sharing his story with them, he was determined. He gets a crowd. He gets anybody. He's sharing his story. He's sharing his story. The governor at the time is Felix. And Felix was already familiar with this Christian way. And he's heard enough. And so he ends the, 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 the court processions and he, or he ends the trial and he says, we're going to wait until the commander comes and then we'll sort it out then. And then Felix and his wife Drusilla come back to meet with Paul privately. Now I want you to keep in mind, the Holy Spirit told Paul he was going to go to Jerusalem. There was going to be jail. There was going to be suffering. And then when he's in Jerusalem, Jesus tells him, just like you've been a witness to me in Jerusalem, you're going to go and be a witness to me in Rome. So Paul has a destination called Rome. He's in between Rome and Jerusalem right now. He's sitting in Caesarea. But he knows where he's headed. Acts chapter 24, starting in verse 23. Felix ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom. Allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. That's the freedom we talked about last week. A few days later, Felix came back with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. I find it interesting that they, the Bible describes her as being Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them. So Paul, they, they sent for Paul. Paul comes back. Paul starts to tell them about faith in Christ. And then he reasoned with them about righteousness, self-control, and the coming day of judgment. So watch this. Felix has ended the trial, sends Paul away, waiting on somebody else to come. And in the meantime, him and his wife go and have a private meeting with Paul, where Paul gets the opportunity to talk about Jesus, come on, to talk about righteousness, to talk about self-control, and even the coming judgment. Felix became frightened. Felix became frightened. The guy that called the meeting got scared when he got into the meeting. He called a meeting with Paul and Paul starts preaching the gospel and the governor gets frightened by the prisoner. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. <laughs> I just love this. Paul's messing them up with the gospel. He was frightened. Now we're going to unpack this a little bit because it's really, really interesting. This whole Felix and Drusilla thing. This was Felix's third wife. And history says that Felix took her from her husband. So you could say she was tooken. That's a word my wife and I pick with. She got tooken. I like, just, I like to say that. It's, just, it's so anti-English, right? She was Jewish. Watch this. Her grandfather was Herod the Great who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby. 
He was the one who ordered all the baby boys killed trying to find this Jesus and have him killed. That's her grandpa. And she's sitting in a room with Paul. Tell me God don't know what he's doing. It gets better. Her uncle was the Herod who killed John the Baptist. Her daddy was the guy who had James the Apostle killed. And she's sitting in a room with Paul. Mess with God. Mess with his people. He gonna get you. And he ain't gonna pull your toes. <laughs> All you Cajuns. <laughs> so it's Felix's third wife. Her grandfather tried to kill Jesus. Her uncle killed John the Baptist. Her daddy killed the apostle James. And she's sitting in a room with Paul and her husband who took her. And the Bible says that Felix became frightened. He was convicted of his own sin and unrighteousness. Paul told them about faith in Christ, righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And Felix was squirming in his seat. Then he says, you need to go away for now. Why? Because he could not handle what Paul was saying. Hmm. He couldn't handle it anymore. It was messing him up. The conviction was too strong. He pushed Paul away, not because he didn't like Paul. It was because he couldn't handle the truth that Paul was delivering. Oh, my, I'm about to get up in your grill for a minute. What if the rejection you're afraid of that's keeping your mouth closed is not about you, but it's about the truth that you're sent to deliver? So instead of being afraid of being rejected, won't you get a little determination like Paul and stand in a situation, deliver the truth, and let them deal with the truth? What if it's not as much about you as you think it is? They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. So go deliver the message and let them deal with Jesus. Then he says, you can come back or I'll call for you when it's more convenient. Oh, how people respond to truth is intriguing to me. Truth is a beast. Truth's not nice all the time. Truth will hurt your feelings. It'll make you admit your wrongs. Truth will make you have to change your life. I wonder why Christians don't read their Bible anymore. Because it's a whole book of truth. There ain't no lies. It's just truth and we don't like it. Can, we just, can you just be real this morning? I don't like to read my Bible sometimes. Why? Because it changes my mind. It makes me admit that I'm wrong. I don't like to be wrong. I'm talking about me. I'm not giving an example for you. Like, that's for me. Like, sometimes I don't like to read my Bible because it messes me up. It messes up my plans. It makes me seem a little different, a little weird to the rest of the world, which I'm supposed to be anyway. 
Truth will mess you up in a good way, though. Verse 27. After two years went by in this way, which means this, history says that Felix kept coming back to Paul periodically. You see, there was something tormenting Felix. He wanted, there was something in him that wanted truth, but there was also something in him that couldn't handle truth. Let me tell you something about the world we live in. There's something deep inside of them that is longing for truth, but there's something all over them that doesn't want anything to do with it. So I can't change that. I can't change whether or not they want the truth or they don't want the truth. All I can do is be Paul and show up and deliver the message that God's called me to deliver and then hand it off to God and let God deal with them from there. Right? He never once told me to go convert people. He told me to go preach the good news. I preach, deliver the message, he does the converting. Pressure's not on me, the pressure's on the gospel and the pressure's on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? So we have nothing to be afraid of. We can't lose. What are you, what are you going to talk about you? Okay. <laughs> I mean, I could, you could be called, you know, worldly. That's more of an insult than being called godly. Right? You could be called uncool. Oh, I'm not cool. I left cool a long time ago. I buy clothes at Walmart, y'all. Come on, somebody. Or Sam's. Or Costco. However my wife finds a deal. So two years goes by this way. Felix was succeeded I can't even say this guy's first name. I'm going to butcher it. He succeeded by Festus. Festus becomes the new governor, not the Festus from Gunsmoke. <laughs> I, was, I was sharing that with somebody, maybe at the house, I was sharing it with somebody, and they're like, no, it was Lisa. I said that to Lisa. I said, yeah, Festus became the, the, the second governor that Paul was under. She goes, from Gunsmoke? I was like, no, Lisa, not from Gunsmoke. I said, good one, though. That was funny. Festus becomes governor. Little history behind that, the Jews didn't like Felix, couldn't stand him. In fact, they went and asked for Felix to be removed, and Festus becomes the new governor. And that's important because of what we're about to read in chapter 25, verse 9. Then Festus, I'm sorry, the rest of 27, and because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish people, he left Paul in prison. Paul could have been set free at any minute. Paul was not guilty, the charges were stupid, and they didn't make sense, and Paul should have been set free a long time ago. But because Felix knew he wasn't good with the Jews, he left Paul in prison to gain favor with the Jews, so Paul stays in prison. Let me tell you something, that's probably God doing that more than anything else, because Paul is sitting on the seashore at the palace under protective custody. Now chapter 25. Festus comes in. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked, the Jews asked him, are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? Paul said, nope. <laughs> this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I'm not guilty of harming the Jews. If I'd done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die, but I am innocent. 
No one has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Big words right there. I appeal to Caesar. Where was Caesar? Caesar was in Rome. Where was Paul heading? Rome. They wanted him to go back to Jerusalem. Paul wasn't backing up. Did you hear that? Like God didn't build Paul with reverse. He didn't back up. Do you want to go to Jerusalem and be tried there? Nope. Why not? Jerusalem's the wrong way. I'm heading to Rome. I appeal to Caesar. I'm not going back. The last thing Paul wanted to do was go backwards. Can I, can I teach you something real quick about the farm? It's just, it's just kind of popped in my head. I'm going to teach you something about pigs real quick. All right. So if you want to raise pigs, you ought to take notes. So we bought some pigs one time, and pigs have to be trained. We wanted to raise pigs not in a cage, but to hold them back with two little strands of hot wire. But a pig can go through the hot wire. So the, the way you train a pig is you put a, a fence, a hard fence, in front of the, the hot wire, and then the hot wire is on the inside, and when the pig touches the hot wire, his automatic, his, his, his natural instinct is to go forward. So what you're doing is you're training the pig to back up because you put a hard barrier in front of it. It could be a wall. It could be a fence. It could be anything. So when the pig hits the hot wire, it goes forward, but it hits the thing. It hits the, the barrier, and it continues to get shocked. You ever watched a pig get shocked before? It's cool. So then eventually the pig learns to back up because he realizes every time I try to go forward, it hurts. So I'm going to learn how to back up. Oh, the enemy's been teaching the church how to back up. Every time you start to go forward, something happens. And so then you back up. Paul wasn't in the business of backing up. No matter how bad it hurt, no matter how scary it got, no matter what his reputation could have been, Paul didn't back up. Why? Because he refused to be trained to back up. He was on a mission determined to go forward. He settled it in his heart and in his mind. I'm going to deliver the message that God has for me. And if I can't push my way forward, I'm going to trust God to get me forward. So that's your lesson on pigs. You're welcome. You'll remember that too. Which means this. See if I can make it plain. The next time the Bible, God himself, or the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, and you take your first step, and it hurts, don't back up. Don't back up. Push through. Push through. You'll quickly be free.
Paul says, no, I appeal to Caesar. Which means I'm going to have to go to Rome. Because once he appealed to Caesar, that was it. It was done. He was heading to Rome. Once again, Paul uses his citizenship to keep moving forward. So Paul's still in Caesarea under Festus. And King Agrippa shows up and his wife Bernice, which is a pretty common name, right? I was like, Bernice. Like, I think I've known a few Bernices in my life. Like, that's, I'm like, wow, the Bible has, anyway. I don't know how you read your Bible, but mine's pretty simple. He shows up, and then he gets a chance to hear Paul's case. Well, I'm telling you, God knows what he's doing. Chapter 26. So they, Festus says, I'll tell you what, I got this guy here. He's a Jew, and he's in jail, and I don't even know why he's in jail. Like, the guy should be free. But he appealed to Caesar, so now I've got to figure out what to write Caesar because it needs to make sense. If you're going to send a prisoner to Caesar, it needs to make sense the charges that you're sending him with. But they couldn't, Festus could not figure out how to write the letter to Caesar to accuse him and then to hear his trial. That's how ridiculous this is. And so Festus says, I want you to hear him. To Agrippa. Verse, chapter 26, verse 1. It says, then Agrippa said to Paul, you may speak your defense. So Paul, gesturing with his hands, starts his defense. Now, you, you're going to have to pay attention to how Paul handles kings. You need to be paying attention to how Paul's handling himself. Jesus never called us to be mean. Mean is not a fruit of the Spirit. He never, caused, he, never, he never called us to be religious or legalistic or anything like that. He called us to be kind and gentle, filled with grace, right? Watch how Paul handles a king. Says you, so Agrippa says, you may speak your defense. Paul gestures, starts his defense. I am fortunate, King Agrippa, that you are the one hearing my defense today against all these accusations made by the Jewish leaders. For I know you are an expert on all the Jewish customs and controversies. Now, please listen to me patiently. Okay, you may have heard this statement. You can catch more flies with honey than you can with salt? Vinegar. Yeah, vinegar. Yeah. I don't like vinegar either. You'll catch me with honey and not vinegar. Watch what Paul's doing. He's in front of a king. If you remember last week, he kind of, or the week before, he blew it with the high priest. Or he thought he did. He had to apologize in the middle of his, his, his defense. He had to apologize for mishandling the high priest. Now he's standing before a king. I know you're an expert on all Jewish customs and controversies. Please listen to me patiently. Paul speaks to King Agrippa with careful respect and with honor. Oh, boy. This is a good one. Because if God sent you to go preach or deliver a message to President Biden, how would you go? Yeah, a little too personal? Yeah, Pastor, we're not ready for that? Would you honor him? Because the Bible tells you to honor those that are in rulership or those that are in authority over you. 
Paul didn't like the high priest a couple of weeks ago, but he realized when he was a high priest that he needed to change his attitude and honor the man because of what the scriptures say, not because of the man. Ah, did you get that? You honor because of what scripture says, not because of the person. I'll snap out of politics real quick. I should have never mentioned his name, but Paul honors his intelligence, shows respect in how he speaks to him. You know, it's difficult to receive anything from a dishonoring person. Be kind, be respectful, be honoring. Honor says more about you than it does the other person. Honor can be like a crown on your head. Dishonor can be like a stain on your shirt. We honor because of what the scriptures say, not because of the person. Honor says more about me than it does about that person. You see, when a person can honor a dishonorable person, it says a whole lot about them. Paul had a mission to deliver a message. He could have messed it up. He could have been rude, disrespectful, and dishonoring. He could have walked in and said, yo, Grippa, I'm glad you're here, bro. You need to hear my case, man. I know you know about them Jews. Listen here, bro. Do you think Agrippa's ears would have opened up if Paul would have addressed him that way? He probably would have never gotten to speak. It is possible, I just want you to hear this today, it is possible to be bold and beautiful at the same time. You can be bold and respectful. You can be bold and honoring. Boldness is not permission to be a jerk. Boldness is not permission to hurt people's feelings. Verse 24, suddenly, so Paul, like, they gave Paul the chance. So Paul just starts, Paul starts preaching. I mean, he's like, I'm in front of the governor and the king. This is my one shot. <laughs> I'm giving it all I got, captain. And he goes at it. He's telling his story. Then he, he, he changes his story and starts talking about Jesus. And he's preaching Jesus to the governor and to the king and everybody else that's listening. The king's wife is listening. Bernice is in the room. Come on, y'all. Bernice was there. <laughs> Suddenly, verse 24 says, Festus shouted, Paul, you're insane. Too much study has made you crazy. <laughs> too, you're reading your Bible too much, Paul. Get your head out your Bible, Paul. Don't spiritualize it, Paul. I had a friend of mine one time ask me a question, and he wanted a, an answer. He said, but don't spiritualize it. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. He said, what do you mean? I said, that don't make sense to me. The Bible makes sense to me, and how I relate this problem to the Bible makes sense to me, but I, I don't know what you, what you want me to do. Like, you want me just to moan? What do you want me to do? Because I can't answer it non-spiritually. 
Too much study has made you crazy, Paul replies. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Now, I can't believe, I can't help but believe he had a little bit of an attitude right there. Come on, somebody. I mean, a little bit of sarcasm, maybe. Most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is the sober truth. And then watch this. He turns his, his way back to King Agrippa. He says, and King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him. For they were not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Are you seeing what Paul's doing? Paul's sitting in a room he don't even belong in. With the governor and a king and the king's wife and all these people listening. And he's respectful. And he's honoring. But he ain't wavering in the truth. He's bold in his stance. He's not letting, allowing himself to get offended. He's not allowing himself to get in the flesh. He's not letting them wreck his attitude. He's on a mission to deliver a message, and I'm going to deliver it in the best way possible because my responsibility is to deliver the package as carefully as possible and then trust God to do the rest. We can mishandle packages. We can mishandle messages. Paul's putting King Agrippa in a headlock, and King Agrippa don't even realize it. Listen to what he just told him. Do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Festus is totally wrecked. <laughs> he just loses it. Festus just, like, bro, you're insane, man. You read your Bible too much. He can't take it anymore. He's trying to shut Paul up. His fuse popped a long time ago. Listen to this. Build your life on the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And when someone becomes agitated with it, keep standing on that gospel. Their reaction to the gospel is not your responsibility. Don't waver. Paul puts some serious pressure on King Agrippa in front of this crowd. There were Jews there. There were some of the Jewish council there. He asked Agrippa if he believes the prophets. And in doing so, he puts Agrippa in the corner that Agrippa didn't want to be in. So Agrippa has to sidestep this whole thing. When Paul says, do you believe the prophets? Watch what happens. If Agrippa says, yes, I, if Agrippa says, no, I don't believe the prophets, he just makes himself an enemy to all the Jews. He highly offends all the Jews, the ones that he's trying to get along with. If he says, I don't believe in the prophets. But Paul had him in a corner. Do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. If he says no, enemy with the Jews. If he says yes, he just put an amen on Paul's message. If he says, yes, I believe the prophets, he puts an amen on Paul's message. And to the whole crowd, for the king to amen Paul's message does something phenomenal. If he puts an amen on Paul's message, if he puts an amen on a prisoner's message, he wrecks the whole thing. (laughs) 
So verse 28, Agrippa interrupted him. Do you think you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? He finally realized what Paul was doing. Listen to Paul's response. Whether quickly or not, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience might become the same as I am except for these chains. He knew what he was doing. He was living life on mission. He had a message that needed to be delivered to a king. And God trusted him with a message to go to the king. He handled himself properly. He got into the room and then he delivered the message with honor and respect. And he put him in a corner that they had to respond to one way or the other. And Agrippa's only way out is, do you think you can make me a Christian this easily or this quickly? (laughs) I'm not worried about time frame. This is what I'm thinking Paul's thinking. You just heard the message. Because you heard the message, it's in your mind. It's in your heart now. I've dropped it off. I put the seed in the ground, buster. Just because we might not see something bust out the ground today, there's a seed in there. I don't even need to hang around for the results. (laughs) It is absolute time to change our world. It is absolute time to change our city. We first have to start in the church, and we secondly have to start in the home. We have a message to deliver. Every single one of us has a message to deliver. You were saved to deliver a message. That message is Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. It's your story. You ever wonder why your story is your story and it's not like anybody else's story? Because your story is only going to make sense to certain people. My story won't make sense to them but your story will reach them. And then you present the gospel to them, and boom, you've delivered the message. Then what happens? I don't know. That's on God. Right? But you can't see results if you never put a seed in the ground. (laughs) Verse 31 So they get up and walk out. The king, verse 30, the king, the governor, Bernice, and all the others stood and left. They couldn't handle Paul anymore. (laughs) As they went out, they talked it over and agreed, this man hasn't done anything to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, listen to this, he could have been set free if he hadn't appealed to Caesar. So Paul was determined. I want to give you five determinations of Paul that I see. There's more there. These are just five that I see that I think we can all apply to our lives today. Five determinations of Paul. Number one, come on. At least it was the Bible app. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) 
Thank God it wasn't Toby Keith or somebody like that. I think that actually happened one time that somebody's phone went off and it was Toby Keith. And we were like, yeah, you just busted. That's right. Five determinations of Paul. (laughs) Number one, Paul was determined to stay in his purpose. He was determined to stay in his purpose. This is important. How many of you realize that there's all kinds of things assigned to take you out of your purpose? I'm going to throw a few of them at you just to, just to offend you before we go eat a burger. <laughs> Little League is assigned to take you out of your purpose. Halloween is assigned to take you out of your purpose. Come on. Hunting season is a sign to take you out of your purpose. Now, in itself, it may not be demonic, but people, we have a tendency to get into something and then to give everything to it, and the assignment lies within the opportunity, and its plan is to take you out of your purpose. Last time I checked, our purpose is to be on this planet to preach the gospel till Jesus comes back. Then we go to him with him and we spend eternity in heaven with no mosquitoes, no humidity, no crime, and we can sleep with the windows open. Come on, somebody. And the bluebell has no calories. Can I get a witness? He was determined to stay in his purpose. You remember when the, the other believers used their spiritual gifts to, cr- to try to keep him from going to Jerusalem? He didn't even let his brothers and sisters in Christ get him out of his purpose. He gets an opportunity to get out of Caesarea and go back to Jerusalem. No, I appeal to Caesar. Why? Because Caesar is my purpose. He's determined to stay in his purpose. Number two, he he was determined to stay honoring. He didn't want to do anything to mess up the message, no matter how he felt. You know, to be an honoring person, you really got to be mature enough to keep your emotions in check. Oh, Oh, I think I might have stepped on something. You got to be mature enough to hold your emotions in check. He was determined to stay honoring because he realized honor keeps the door open. Paul was determined, number three, to stay in his position. I'm going to explain this. He was determined to stay in his position. This is important. Listen. What was Paul's position? His position was in Christ. His position was not outside of Christ. Therefore, his validation, his affirmation, his self-worth was found in Christ, in his position, and not from anyone else on the outside. Too many Christians today care about how many people like our posts and tag this and do this, and we don't care enough about what God says about us, and then we get into this dark spot where we get all distorted and confused, and we don't know who we are, and it's all because we got out of position. He saved you to get you out of the world. Why are we fighting to get back into the world? 
The world should be trying to be like us because we're living the abundant life, not the fake life. We live the life with no filters. <laughs> I was tempted one time to use a filter on Facebook. I ain't gonna lie. I was, I was messing around with Anna and she, she almost had me convinced to, to post a picture of myself with a filter. And I didn't. <laughs> Paul was determined to stay in his position. The enemy is assigning things, people, and places to get you out of position. He's tapping on every little insecurity you got. He's coming at you from every way that he can because he wants to get you out of position. Because the minute you get out of position, you start to forget your value. You start to forget where your source of life comes from. You'll start to get into, my life comes from my hands. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Because God even gave you the ability to use your hands. You'll get out of your position. He was determined to stay in his position. Number four, he was determined to deliver the message. Paul didn't mess around with small talk. He didn't get into politics. He didn't talk about sports. He didn't talk about anything else, really. All he ever talked about was the message. Isn't that amazing? It's possible to live a good life and only talk about the message. I mean, he's so cool, he's in the Bible. And he never talked about sports. He never had a platform for politics. He never vlogged and blogged and frogged and all those other things. He never did none of that. What did he do? He delivered the message everywhere he went. Yeah, but pastor, I, I'm feeling some pressure right now. I'm feeling some of y'all going like, yeah, but you, you're pushing it too hard, bro. Like, you know, I know Paul had some other conversations. Oh, I'm sure he talked about what he wanted to eat. I'm sure he talked about where he wanted to sleep. I'm sure he talked about what, how things could have went a little different and this could have went a little different. I'm sure he talked about tents because he used to build tents. But he was determined, watch this, his first priority was to deliver the message that he was sent to deliver. He had something inside of him that said, if I don't deliver this message, I don't know who else will. These people may never hear the message if I don't deliver it today. And then number five, he was determined to live with the results. <laughs> determined to live with the results. The results of others and the results for himself. Think about Paul for a minute. Highly intellectual. He was trained in the law and the traditions. He was the protege. He was the man to take the high position one day. Highly intellectual. Yet he's a criminal. He's beaten. He's stoned. He's rejected. He's slapped. 
He was determined to live with the results no matter what they were for others and for himself. One day, we're all going to have to get over other people's opinions of us. You have a message to deliver. I'm going to prove it to you. God gave you a story. If you're a born-again believer, you have a story. Your story is unique to you. It's a special weapon that you have. Share your story. And in sharing your story, point people to Jesus. Share the good news and watch what God does. That's the only way the world changes. That's the only way Eunice changes. Even prayer roll can change. If somebody will deliver the message. Mamu can change on Mardi Gras if somebody will deliver the message. So I saw some of y'all went. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> we have a message to deliver. I'll tell you what. I'm sure glad some students was at the ABC camp. Years and years and years ago when I was 12 years old and they decided to deliver a message because I heard the message and I believed the message and I've not been the same since. I'm sure glad somebody gave me the message. Amen? So bow your heads, close your eyes. Lord, I just come to you today so grateful for the folks that have delivered messages into my life. Surely you can speak to me directly, Lord, but sometimes I have a hearing problem. I thank God that you send people to deliver messages. My life has been radically changed because of the messages that you've sent to me. God, I pray that we're people that deliver the message. Stir up a passion inside of us. Give us a burden for the lost, for the hopeless, for the sheep that have no shepherd. Start a fire in us, Lord. Pour some gasoline on it, Lord. Develop my determination, Lord. And then help me as I deliver the message that you send me to deliver to no matter who it is, no matter what the results may be, Lord, help me to deliver it in such a way that it's received. So no one looking around this morning. If you would get real honest with me for a second, I think, that's our, I think that's our first step is to just get real honest where we are. How many of you would make a confession today and say, I have a determination problem? Would you raise your hand? All over the room. All over the room. You can put them down. Lord, you saw those hands. And you know those that didn't raise their hands. Help us. 
Help us, Lord, to be bold declarers of the truth. Anoint us, God. I know you only anoint people that live on purpose, and you only anoint for purpose. But God, the minute we, de we decide and determine to go and deliver the message, would you anoint us to do that? That God, we would experience your anointing that would make us go, wow, I'd like to do that again. That was good. Because that wasn't me. Help us with that. One more question, then I'll, I'll close it out. If you've not ever given your life to Jesus, you don't know where you stand before God right now. But you want a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, nobody's looking around. Raise your hand. Two. Three. Four. Anybody else? Five. Six. Seven. Eight. You can put them down. Let's pray together today. Let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting me here today. I realize that I'm in need of a Lord and a Savior. You died on the cross for me to make a way for me to have a relationship with your Father and with you. I accept what you did on the cross and I believe in my heart that God raised you from the grave. You're sitting at his right hand. I want to make a confession. Jesus, you're my Lord. I surrender to you today. Save me. Lead me. Give me new life. Cleanse my soul. In Jesus' name. Amen.